Turn to Philippians chapter 1. We're reading verses 12 through 20 again this week. And today we enter into the strange, strange place of thinking about doing the right thing for the wrong reason. The right thing for the wrong reason. This is probably one of the hardest things for us to grasp. we want everything to be clean. We want it to either be the right thing and it's for the right reason and the wrong thing and it's for the wrong reason. But when you mix them up together, all bets are off in trying to figure out what's going on, why it's going on. It's hard to understand. And we see that in this letter that Paul writes about some wicked men who have bad motives and yet end up doing something that Paul is happy about, not just because he's happy, but because good is being accomplished. One of Paul's main points in this chapter, we need to remember going into it, and that is that God is accomplishing His will through us, even in bad circumstances. So remember that as Paul is writing this, he is in jail. And that's another example of one of the things that is bad, and yet God is accomplishing good through it. Similar sort of thing to when we do good, but for bad reasons. God's amazing. He's able to make these things turn out for good. If there's one thing that I'm grateful for, it's that it's not all clean cut. That when you have bad motives, it's just bad. And the reason is because we always have bad motives. Can you imagine if every time anybody had a bad motive, something really bad happened? You think the world is bad now. You think the news is bad now. (laughs) What if it turned into that? So we can be grateful that there are many, many, many circumstances every single day where this happens, where people with bad motives end up doing good things. Let's stand now for the reading of God's Word from Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 20. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances, and remember his circumstances are prison, right? My circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. 
The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So here you have Paul. He's in prison. And he's very grateful to the Philippians. He has a very sweet relationship with that church, as we've seen. And he's trying to remind them that it's not all bad. They've heard some bad news. They've heard that he's in jail. And he says, ah, but remember the goal, the main point is that the gospel goes forth. The main point is that people are hearing the good news. And that has happened, and it's happened more because I went to jail. So then from there, he says, and it has meant that more people have been preaching. And he and maybe the Philippians have heard this part too. I don't know if that's why Paul is addressing this fact that there are people who are preaching out of selfish ambition, envy, strife, seeking to cause distress. I mean, he's not, he's not holding back in his criticism of them, is he? And so maybe the Philippians know about that aspect of it too, that, and they probably do. Word gets around if you're in real close relationship with Paul, he started that church from humble beginnings, tender relationship, and they know about his needs. They've probably also heard, if they've heard that, that there's other people there that claim the name of Christ who are being absolutely miserable to Paul. Wouldn't that be part of why you wanted to send some help to encourage him? You'd think, man, not only is he in jail, but everybody's kicking him while he's down. People who are supposed to be on the same team as him. Let's, let's be a help to him. Let's be an encouragement to him. Let's, let's at least send some money so he has enough to eat, right? Whatever the reason, Paul, whether they've heard about it or not, Paul doesn't hesitate to write about these men that because he's in jail are now preaching Jesus Christ. Some who are wicked, as I've been talking about, and others who are not, who are doing it out of love. Now, when you think of preaching the gospel out of love, I think you probably would assume first 
love of God would cause you to preach the gospel, right? But take a step back from that for one second. What other kind of love would cause you to preach the gospel? I think it's more common that it's caused by love for the person that we're proclaiming the gospel to. So, yeah, a lot of the time when we think about evangelism, we think about talking to strangers, and we have to sort of force ourselves to do it. That's sort of the, the, the way we think about it generally today. But when you really love somebody and you want them to become a Christian, you tell them about Jesus Christ, don't you? So there is that combination of love for God and love for neighbor that we see it sums up the whole of the commandment, right? The whole of the law of God summed up in those two things coming out in the gospel that love for God and love for neighbor is this motivating factor in preaching the good news, in telling somebody about Jesus Christ. Here in this passage, we see Paul even going a step further and and talking about what appears to be their love for himself being a motivating factor for them preaching to other people. Not their love for God, although it's, there's, it's probably all mixed up together like we see with love, right? But look at that verse. It's 16. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Doing it out of love. In that context where he's talking about himself being being set apart for the defense of the gospel, and then immediately going on into verse 17 and talking about them thinking to cause other people thinking to cause him distress in his imprisonment. Clearly, the love that he's talking about there relates to himself. So some people have deep love and gratitude for Paul, and part of their motivation for preaching is that love that they have for the Apostle Paul. Now that can almost sound unholy, I think. Like, aren't, we, aren't they supposed to be the good guys? We're talking about good motivations and bad motivations, and we're going to put love for a man in the good category? <laughs> Shouldn't it all be about love for God? Well, the first commandment is, and the greatest commandment is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, Right? But kids, do you remember what the second commandment is? I think I asked this a couple weeks ago, and we got some really conf- some confusion out there. What's the second commandment? The second great commandment? Yes. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's right. Is Paul your neighbor? Well, he's not alive, so I guess that's a trick question. But who isn't your neighbor? Nobody. Everybody's your neighbor, right? 
So that includes, at this time, the people who are preaching the gospel. Paul would be one of their neighbors. So it's not unholy to have a motivation that springs from a love for a man. Now, of course, you can, you can take that and be like, well, of course, Jesus was a man. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a sinful man like the Apostle Paul. And Paul sets up this, this big difference between those people that while he's in prison, while the good news has spread throughout the Praetorian Guard, while everybody knows why he's in jail, has to do with this Jesus guy that, that he keeps talking about, how everybody begins to have more courage and speak the word of God without fear, and then he goes into this, yeah, they all have more courage, and some of them, admittedly, have more courage and are doing it because they're nasty. And there's really, that's, I mean, how else are you going to summarize it? In one word, they're just being nasty. Think about those Think about those motives that he says, from envy and strife, thinking to cause distress to the Apostle Paul in his imprisonment, and I skipped one, selfish ambition. That's just gross. You put all those things together? What is envy? What could they be envious of? Well, it seems clear here, Paul is is not at all shy to take credit for himself, not apart from God. It's it's because God is powerful and is accomplishing his will, of course, that Christ has become well-known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. But why? It's because of his imprisonment. His circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. And so, if the, if the result of Paul's work is that he ends up in jail and forgotten and having accomplished nothing, nobody's going to be envious of him. But if the result of Paul being called as an apostle and set apart for this work, proclamation, the defense of the gospel to the Gentiles, if the result of that is he ends up in prison, but also with everybody knowing about Jesus Christ, and you think, okay, now where does envy come in? It's it's a lot easier to see how envy would come in at that point. Now, there's something you need to know about pastors before you can really understand this. And that is that we're all self-centered. There's just, yeah, 
you know, I'm sure there are wonderful pastors out there that you all have as heroes and love, and I don't mean to include them in this list, but I certainly do mean to include myself. We are self-centered. And when people show up at church, I feel good. And when people don't show up, I feel bad. Like, it's about me. You see, that's how, that's how easy it is, how quick it is for us to change everything from being about God to being about ourselves. And so, you, it's just, you have to realize how easy it is for men who are actually preaching the gospel, who are actually proclaiming the good news, and not just to people who have already heard it and lived it and know it and grew up in it, but to new people. Being, it requires that they become bold to do it, right? As he's been talking about here. They become bold, they begin doing it, and yet for them to be seeking to puff themselves up. To be, to be self-centered in that work. Once you realize how easy it is for men to be self-centered in proclaiming the gospel, then you're able to make these kinds of judgments that Paul makes, where he says their motives are awful. Their motives are terrible. And he's no hesitation, no question. Not They might be doing it out of some possibly bad motives somewhere, because after all, we all have mixed motives. No, they're doing it for these four terrible reasons. He's judging their hearts. He's reading their motives. You know, it's like all of the worst things that you're not supposed to do, right? Paul doesn't have any qualms about it. He goes straight ahead, and then he says, but they're proclaiming the gospel. They're, they're preaching Jesus Christ. And as far as that goes... I'm all for it. So you've just got this beautiful thing where Paul is so self-forgetful that even though he doesn't have he he doesn't he doesn't hesitate also to to say it's because I'm in prison that everybody's more bold and that everybody knows about the gospel and of Jesus Christ right now. He also doesn't care. He doesn't care at all that it's him. What he cares about is that goal, which is what he's been reminding the Philippians of throughout the whole first chapter. Remember, the goal, the number one goal, the purpose that we're driving towards is that the gospel would spread, that, that the name of Jesus Christ would be proclaimed. And so, if it's sinful desires motivating people to do it, well, what then? Verse 18, Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. This is where his defense against their attacks on him comes from. They can't cause him distress in his imprisonment by preaching the gospel. (laughs) It's impossible. 
Because that's what he wants more than anything else. That's his number one goal. So they're starting from the assumption that Paul is like them. You know, a thief thinks everyone steals. They think that because they preach so that they can puff themselves up, like, hey, look, I managed to gather 500 people. Hey, look, I managed to find a crowd of 1,000 people. Hey, look, you know, so they think that because they're motivated that way, like the more people that can say, like, I'm a follower of Cephas, Apollos, you know, that sort of thing is what's going on here. It's all about building themselves, their reputation, their name up as a great preacher of the gospel, as a a great man of God, right? You see how perverse that is. But they think because that's the way that they are, well, clearly that's the way Paul is too. It's a competition. It's a zero-sum game, you know? He gets ten, I don't get them. That's like ten more for his column. And Paul goes, there are no columns here except for God's column. So you get ten more people... It's all, it's all, it's all, it's in my column because that's my, my win. And it's not because he gets the credit for it. Although, again, remember, he's not shy to say it's because he's the one who's in prison. (laughs) But that's not the point. His point is obviously not about taking credit for it for himself. His point is that the only thing that matters is that that column is God's column. It's the one that's growing. As long as it's growing, he doesn't care what they do to him. He's happy to be in jail, if that makes it happen better. And these aren't the people who put him in jail, right? It's the Romans who put him in jail. And maybe the Jews involved in it. But here you've got people who are Christian preachers, maybe with some, probably with some bad doctrine. Probably, uh, you remember, we were talking about the Judaizers in Timothy, right? This is probably the same sort of group, but clearly not to the same level, or else he wouldn't write this way, because they are preaching the gospel. They are preaching Jesus Christ, and the Judaizers, he says, need to be silenced. So he, so even if their doctrine is off somewhat, apparently, you get that in the context, um, as long as the core of the gospel is there, their motives are terrible. He doesn't care. They're, uh, they're heading towards some bad stuff. He doesn't care. What he cares about in this context is the gospel is being proclaimed by them. Therefore, it's all in the positive column. It's all considered Good by him. The same thing goes for the fact that he's been thrown in jail by the Romans. Obviously, they meant it for evil, as Joseph says to his brothers, right? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Here, the Romans meant it for evil. That's why he's in jail. And yet, God meant it for good. Therefore, all of the Praetorian Guard knows. Therefore, And everybody else, it says. I love that addition, you know. <laughs> What verse is that? Verse 13. My imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Everyone else? (laughs) Who is that? Well, it's everybody else. 
So often, we fall into doing good things from selfish ambition. Envy is... Envy is very powerful. Selfish ambition and envy go together very closely. So, um, it's easy to it's easy to fall into sin, to have sinful motives, and yet then to do good things. How does this work outside of the context of Paul and prison and gospel ministry? Well, you can see it in any work circumstance where somebody who is working hard gets rewarded at the job that they're doing, right? And normally, this is the way it works. Not always, but normally, if you work hard, you are rewarded for working hard. God has set up the world this way. So even though it's not purely nature, like you go out into the field and you work hard, and generally what you see is there's fruit that comes from it, right? If you plant and you water, you do all that work, then at the end you can expect a harvest because God set up the world that way. The same thing holds true even into post-industrial revolution, corporate workplace in America, that if you work hard, you can expect to be rewarded for that work. It's, it's amazing how nature just keeps God. God just makes everything work the way that he's planned for it to work. We think that we've escaped from the natural world and, and the, the, you know, the nitty-gritty of how it all goes down, but the fact remains that No matter your job, you work hard. Yes, sometimes there's a drought. The end of the season, the harvest is terrible. But most of the time, you work hard, there's that reward. So imagine seeing that man who works hard and God blesses him with the, the common grace of being rewarded for good hard work. He gets a raise. He gets promoted, whatever it is. And what? There's other people there who are envious that he got the raise and that they didn't get the raise. Or he got the promotion, they didn't. I mean, has there there ever been a, a circumstance in the history of the world where somebody got a promotion and there was nobody who was envious? Go back to Cain and Abel. God was pleased. There's that promotion, right, with Abel. God smiled on Abel and his work and his sacrifice. And what was Cain? Cain was angry, bitter, envious of Abel. It's always been this way. So here today, you still see the same thing. The man gets the raise. The other man is jealous envious, and out of that envy and because of selfish ambition, what does he do? He starts working harder. (laughs) Some do. Some quit and go decide to work someplace else not hard. And 
they get their reward. Nothing, right? But those who begin to start working harder, what happens? The workplace becomes more productive. It's, you know, somebody... You want to work with people who are working hard. It's a joy. It's great. You know what's miserable? Working with people who are lazy. It's really bad, working with people who are lazy. So the, so the outcome of that selfish ambition and that envy is good, productive workplace and probably a raise for them. What I want you to see is how often this is the case in yourself. Who was it that said, every time one of my friends succeeds, a little part of me dies? (laughs) An uncommonly honest man. And here you have that happening in the church, in gospel ministry. That same thing where you've got bad, wicked motives. And yet, it's turning out for good. Because it is, it is motivating them to do this good thing. Now, I do not want us to end, come away from this thinking, you know, okay, it's fine for me to be motivated by evil desires. These are not the men you're to emulate in this text. I just want you to see that it does happen still today. It happens all around us. There are many pastors that went into the ministry for exactly the same motives. Okay? It's awful. You don't want those men to succeed. You don't want the man who is purely out of envy and ambition working hard to get the promotion because they make vindictive bosses. (laughs) Right? There are real problems to being motivated by evil desires. But we can't lose track of the fact that there is often still good that God causes to come about motivating us to do the right thing even though that motive itself is not pure but wicked. Strife. And even... Seeking to cause distress. If you think of the man who is, uh, who is vain and because of his vanity, 
he begins to start working out and taking care of his body, the fruit is still that he ends up losing weight and getting stronger, right? But, oh, (laughs) you don't want to be that guy. What you want is to be the guy who has pure motives and therefore works hard to the glory of God. Out of love is how Paul describes these other men who are going out and proclaiming the gospel. Yes, love for God, but also love for him. It's very hard for us to separate the bad motives that people have from their good works. And like Paul, to approve of what good they have done. What we prefer to do is say, well, they're bad, therefore I'm not going to approve of this thing that they've done, even though it's good. I mean, I, I find it very hard to do that anyway. If there's somebody that I have come to a conclusion about their character and that it's bad, and I see that, that, that wicked character working its way out, and, but then they do something that's just unambiguously good, I don't want to approve of it. I want to still just be like, on them. And if you want, after the service, you can ask me the names of people that I do that to. And I'll tell you. So that you can, whenever you get the chance, remind me not to be that way with them. Who else is like Paul in this? Well, you won't be surprised to know that One of the good examples we have is Jesus, right? Remember what Jesus says about the Pharisees? He says, he says a lot of terrible things about the Pharisees, but then he says, listen to them. When they're giving good teaching, listen to it. But don't be like them. And so that's what we have to realize. Here, you've got men going out, proclaiming the gospel, and Paul says, you know, he's happy for people to listen to them. Of course, he doesn't want people to become like them. But the more people who listen to them, the better. We don't do ourselves or our children, or anybody else favors by refusing to acknowledge good just because the motives are bad. We have to be willing to, to discern between them and to, and to be able to discern between different actions. I'm sure these people did other things to cause Paul distress 
in his imprisonment, like convincing everybody not to support him financially in the area, probably. Wouldn't that cause distress and imprisonment, right? That's not something that Paul is commending here. But he is commending and saying at least they're preaching the gospel. So he's willing to divide between their good and their bad. He's also willing to divide between their motives and and their actions. We must be willing to do that. And that is hard for us to do. And it's easy for us to fall into doing things out of enmity, out of strife, out of selfish ambition or envy, even thinking to cause people distress. Now you look around today, and there are, we we were talking yesterday, there are thousands of churches in Cincinnati, right? And when I was in Ethiopia several years ago, I had a missionary ask me why in the world I would bother planting a church in Cincinnati. There aren't, he's like, there's like, there's churches there, aren't there? Now, I want you to, I want you to see how some of the difficulty of that question flows out of this text right here, where you look around and you see there's, there's a lot of churches that simply aren't preaching the gospel. The Judaizers need to be silenced. There's a lot of churches where I, I've prayed sometimes in the pastoral prayer that God would shut the doors, right? So that nobody would hear any longer the wicked things that they're proclaiming. Then there are other churches where the pastor's a scoundrel. And you can tell. The motives are awful. It's all about himself. And yet, there's nothing really wrong with his sermons. He's preaching the gospel. (laughs) It's hard to figure out what to do, isn't it? Because we want things to be cleaner than they are in this world. They're just not that clean. It's not like there's goodies and there's baddies and you get to just condemn everything the baddies do and laud everything the goodies do. It just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way even for yourself. Even when you know your motives are bad. One of the mistakes that we make sometimes is having bad motives, seeing those bad motives, and then abandoning the good. Don't abandon doing the good that those motives are driving you to. Abandon the motives for crying out loud. You see the problem, right? Keep doing the good. Change your motives. You say, well, that's easier said than done. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it is easier said than done. But that is still no excuse to abandon the good, is it? Here Paul is, and he's saying, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. He's even willing for the man who preaches it to not really believe it. 
Not because it's good for that man. It brings condemnation and judgment. That man is worse off for having preached in pretense, not believing the gospel. But everybody else that hears a true proclamation of the gospel is benefited. So yes, it's hard to change your motives instead of change your actions. And maybe you do need to make some changes so that you can't meet those bad motives. But find a way to keep doing the good. And don't don't ever make excuses for yourself keeping your evil motives. And that's that's the tension. That is the 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 life that we live is in this perpetually knowing our hearts or trying to know them, seeing that there is still, as Paul says in Romans, that that wicked man is still there, right? Fighting to put that man to death in us. And yet, outcome outcome those evil desires, outcome those bad motives. Many, many people give up on any kind of discernment because they're unwilling to live in this tension. They don't want there ever to be question of whether somebody is doing something good or not. Or if they are willing to say, yes, this is good, yes, this is bad, yes, this is the true gospel, yes, that is not, that is the Judaizers, that is some false gospel, right? Even if they're willing to do that, they're unwilling for motives to ever be discussed at all. Why? Well, because... Who wants to say, yeah, that church proclaims the gospel and the motivation is out of a desire to harm me? A little bit self-centered there, eh? (laughs) A bit of megalomania there. You think it's all about you, do you? Paul... It's not all about you, Paul. And and that's his point. It's not all about him. But he has to be willing to say, yes, bad motives and good motives, in order for him to say, it's not about me, therefore, as long as the gospel is being proclaimed, it doesn't matter. Because otherwise, everybody sees the people being nasty to him, and the message there is, they're left with what those wicked men believe, those with evil motives who are proclaiming the gospel, which is there's a division. You have to pick between me and Paul. Paul goes, you don't have to pick between me and them. They're wicked. Pick God. And 
And then you're able to judge motives and you're able to judge actions. And you're able to avoid falling into your own evil desires, your own selfish ambition. You're able to keep doing the good while trying to cut out those sinful motives. So yes, some preach Christ even from envy and strife. Some, in seeking to prove themselves better than me, will then speak the truth of the gospel in a way that is more bold, more clear, more true than they ever have before. And I'm all for it. And I mean that personally. Some have and will do that. We have to be all for it. We have to be willing not to be then grumpy about the fact that they, you know, they became bold after being rebuked. But that was just because they were trying to prove me wrong. And so I'm not willing to give them credit for it. It's not about credit for them or me. It's about the gospel. Let's pray.